Blue Wire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 15 of That's What B Said. I am your host, Bree Rust at Breezy Clee, and I'm joined, as always, by my fellow co host, Brittany Mollis at Bird's Eye View and Meredith Kane at MK on Sports. It's been a rough start to our week, guys, but how are you doing otherwise? Well, I am on location. I, I don't know if I'd call it a vacation, but it's something of the sort. I'm okay. down in Florida right now, so getting some sunshine, and it's been nice spending a lot of time with the family. Good. Yes. Well, we're sitting here in the cold in yeah. East Ohio. <laughs> I, it started snowing today. Ew. Yeah. I know. It's funny because... You know, because we're trying to convince Brittany to come back up to Cleveland because we miss her and we miss her presence in the state. And she's just like, nope. Yeah, I'm stay getting, there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because my hives are gone, too. I come, I come down here and all of a sudden, like, I don't have hives anymore. Oh, well. Yes. That, that might be I'm worth cured. it. I know. <laughs> a lot of things. <laughs> I'm never coming back. I'm done. Oh, Bye, please guys. Please come back. Please come back. Yes, we, please We come need back. you in your Zubas pants. All right, I'll come back for brown seat because it's revenge season. It's fullback That's season. That's right. There's so it much is. to look forward to now. We have a lot to cover on the show today. Uh, we're going to talk a lot of Browns because there is a new GM in the building. Well, a new old GM. Okay, we'll get into that a little bit later. We have our fellow uh, Blue Wire family, Jake Burns, joining our show to talk more Browns with us. But first, we would be remiss if we did not touch on the tragic news of the passing of Kobe Bryant that happened on Sunday because I think it rocked the sports world and all of our worlds too and we're going to touch on him and what he kind of meant to all of us and the things that have come out with within the last two days but first we're going to just take a, a 24 second pause here just to honor Kobe Bryant and all the things that he has done. So as I mentioned, um, on Sunday, Kobe Bryant, along with his 13-year-old daughter, Gigi, and seven others were pronounced dead after a tragic helicopter crash on their way to his daughter's basketball tournament. And it was one of those days on Sunday where the news broke and it almost felt fake. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I I didn't believe it when I first saw it. And the first tweet that I saw was actually from Adrian Wojnarowski, who does not report wrong things and it was actually Woj's account like it wasn't a fake account like it was him it was the blue checkmark account and I saw it and I still didn't believe it well I saw it first from Brittany Mollis <laughs> on Twitter Brit oh, breaking man. news you're, you're the third person who told me that and it's so weird I was um I was at the pool with my nieces and like the rest of our family and we're sitting there and I'm just playing on my phone and I look and I see that it, it was like probably like two or three minutes after TMZ like put the story on Twitter and I'm staring at this headline and honest to God this is the first time I I just sat there and stared at it and I'm like this can't this can't be real like this has to be a hoax and I showed it to my friend Jenna who said, I was like this what is this she's like oh that has to be that can't be real it has to be a hoax so we're sitting there and sitting there and it just keeps all of it just keeps happening I'm like oh my god like this is the first time that I ever read something 
about like a death that I just absolutely adamantly didn't want to believe. I, yeah. It didn't register for like hours until that moment that I saw it. And wow, that that shook me. Yeah, same here. And I think we all want to talk about why um why it shook all of us because same thing like i think i'll remember exactly where i was when i read about it and it was almost surreal too because tmz reported it first but then i was watching like the pro bowl i don't know why but the pro bowl was about to come on and like nothing was happening on espn mm-hmm. I-, I was refreshing my twitter page constantly just to see like is this fake like this would be a really cruel joke for someone to play or just to get clout right. on the internet Um, and you know, the fact that he was 41 years old and then as the events and and news kept happening throughout the next couple of hours, like you just learned more and more about what happened. And the fact that his 13 year old daughter was with him was just heartbreaking. And as a parent, I mean, that like that hit me big time and I wasn't a huge Kobe fan from a basketball standpoint I I was a basketball player throughout my entire childhood high school life and and onward and I will say like even though I wasn't a huge fan of him I did respect and appreciate his mentality and that seems to be what so many in the sports world and outside of even the sports world has latched onto was just that competitive nature and the mentality to want to win and the work ethic that is so inspiring even if you weren't a fan of him or the lakers yeah yeah um for sure the the mamba mentality yes i i'm just gonna be really honest and i haven't really shared this yet and you know it's it's kind of hard to like talk about but i had a hard time sort of reconciling this one this death yeah. Um, at first, because I had never, like you, I was never a Kobe fan. And it had nothing to do with the basketball stuff. It had everything to do with the one night that he had, right, in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, as a woman, like, I'm just going to speak on this because it's something I'm passionate about. And I always advocate for things like this. And when I was looking through, you know, all the footage and, you know, all the the links and the, the stories... The thing that stood out to me the most was that he made a mistake, right? Yeah. But he, I look at the, the pictures of him and his, the man he was as a father Mm -hmm. and that killed me to my core just because I can't imagine, you know, life without my dad. So you think about the daughters that he's leaving behind and his wife and I mean one of my biggest fears is losing my siblings so you have these girls that just lost their sibling and there's just there's so much around it that you know when people were spreading the well you know don't forget what he did and you can't talk about Kobe without talking about this one thing this is so much bigger than that it's everyone can find something that they they identify with you know like you don't have to focus on that one thing and that was really hard for me because that's most of his career that's what i focused on i was like yeah he's great but but this this was different because you just there's so much more that goes into this and there's so much hurt and you see everyone 
everyone was hurt by this because you just looking at those words together Kobe Bryant dead at 41 like wow I it's I still can't believe we're talking about this well the one thing that I will sort of bring up in relation to you know the 2016 incident with Kobe Bryant is that he evolved as a person like if you look Mm -hmm. at his early career he was not well liked by other players he wasn't well liked by fans you know in Mm -hmm. in the very very beginning and it's because he was win 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 nothing else um you know you see reports of you know how he spoke to other players in the league and he just didn't care like he didn't care how he treated other people he didn't care how he came across as long as he was winning but that was like young kobe that was like 19 20 year old kobe and as he grew up he got better and he changed and even though he was still kind of a heel in the nba like his persona changed and his attitude towards his teammates changed and he became a better person and then he has that one you know black spot on his record in 2016 which he apologized for and from all accounts it looked like he grew and learned and really changed himself for the better since that so while i'm on the same page as you Brittany, with with incidents like that and you know wanting to support victims and and believe women at the same time you also have to look at and we'll talk about second chances later in the podcast because we're going to get into some of the kareem hunt stuff but Mm -hmm. you know he really evolved into a much better person and he started doing some amazing things for women's athletics and so that's one of the reasons why in this instance I'm, you know, I I don't like I don't bring up Colorado because to me it's, you know, he moved on past that and so that's why I did too. Mm-hmm. I think you I think you both bring up really good perspectives to this whole thing because he did have a blemish on his past that could have defined what his legacy was and the fact that he didn't let that define who he was and he became a father to four girls. And he had this really strong relationship with them. And I'm sure that you guys saw this, but um, earlier today, there was a tweet circulating from ESPN's Elle Duncan, where she shared a personal story about Kobe and how much he loved being a father to his daughters. And the other clip that was kind of being shared around on Sunday and Monday was the Jimmy Kimmel interview as well, where Kobe was boasting about his daughter Gigi carrying on his basketball legacy and how he was always approached with the question of, well, don't you want to try for a boy who's going to carry on your legacy? And Kobe essentially said, I love being a girl dad. I I would have five more girls. And that hit me and just it made me reflect so much on my childhood and growing up because it's just me and my sister. My dad was a girl dad. And I used to joke with my parents that I felt like I was my dad's only son because, (laughs) you know, he, he shared his passion for sports and he wanted me to play sports and he introduced sports to me. And I would say my mom also was a huge advocate of sports and loved them as Mm -hmm. well. So both of them had a huge influence on who I was growing up and the impact that sports had on me. And I fell in love with basketball and softball and um, track and Mm -hmm. so many other sports and now here I am in love with watching sports and talking about sports with both of you ladies and the influence that my dad and my mom both had on me 
they didn't care that I was their daughter. I was just their child and they were sharing their passions with me and they cared enough to want me to care. And now I get to do that same exact thing with my daughter. And that's why that clip was just like, wow. Uh, it was so much more than basketball. It is. And I, I, when I saw that, I was almost brought to tears this morning when, you know, she was telling that story and she was talking about being, a, you know, he died doing the thing that he loved most, just being a dad and I truly, I 100% believe that, you know, you could see it in his face when they were together and the things that, you know, he valued the most. And even if you just like go through his social media posts and what's important to him was his family, um, his girls, you could, there's so much love there. And, you know, for that, I, this is horrible, but, you know, when she was telling that story about the girl dad, I could not help but like. I had tears in my eyes, but I was smiling at the same time because, man, girl dads are the best. They are. <laughs> they are. Yeah, I would they say. They really uh, are. You know, even though I, I have an older brother, so my dad does have a son, but he is very much so a girl dad. Like, there's mm-hmm. just no way, like, shape, like, there's, there's no way he's not because, like, he's the reason that I love hockey as much as I do because he went out of his way. Uh, when my brother and I were growing up to make sure that we got to experience as many sports as we could. Like if I wanted to play softball, he let me play softball. When I, I came up, he told me the story and I forget this, but like I literally came home one day when I was like 10 years old and said, oh, by the way, I joined the swim team. And my dad's like, are, are, were you going to even ask us or tell us? And I said, no, I just joined it. And he said, well, okay, <laughs> like, like go, go beyond the swim team. But yeah, he, uh, you know, he took my brother and I, along with my mom, you know, we went to numerous amounts of Capitals games growing up. We would always take special trips to Baltimore to see the Orioles play. We would go down to Woodbridge, Virginia, which is where the Potomac Cannons, now the Potomac Nationals uh, play, which is the uh, minor league affiliate for the Nationals, um, you know, he would take us downtown to what was then like the MCI center and we would see the bullets and the wizards play all the time. I mean, it was just, it was nothing but sports, but also, you know, being a girl dad, he had no problem with, you know, taking me shopping for clothes if I wanted clothes. And then later on say, okay, well, we're going to like, we're done shopping. Let's go watch football. You know, like he's, he's got a son, but my dad is absolutely like epitome girl dad. Yeah. That whole story just warmed my heart. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And then uh, and then I have this in our notes and this is something that I've been having just a like I'm such a champion, I guess, or just a pro for women's sports. I get really annoyed and upset when I hear people talk down on the WNBA. Um, One of the things that I actually love watching is women's hockey, like college women's hockey is just it is so pure and so beautiful. And Kobe Bryant did a lot for women's sports. Like he was a huge champion for the WNBA and Gigi was obviously going to be in the WNBA someday. And, you know, he always promoted it and he was an ambassador for the U S women's national team as well. Like he supported women's sports so ferociously. And there's, that is a huge loss in that respect for women who want to play sports. Like they lost, you know, one of their biggest and, you know, most famous backers. And so that's one of the things that, you know, for me is, you know, some something that affects me personally, too, because, you know, as we sit here and we talk about sports and we predominantly talk about sports played by men, you know, we have the same support for the women who play these sports as well. Yeah, it's uh, 
very good point that um, you bring up is like there's one less advocate now for women's sports and the fact that his daughters were the motivating factor for getting involved in that and his Mamba Academy um, that he built. And I hope that that doesn't die, um, you know, with his passing. And, and I think it's even more important to talk about those things and make sure that we pay attention to them because it, it's really important for all of the daughters out there. And I was sharing with you guys before we hopped on, I coach my daughter's basketball team. I mean, it's five, five and under, but just the importance of seeing women in these positions and having girls play sports and being coached by women in sports is such a critical role in that, you know, it's not just, it's not just for boys and it's so little, but so important. Yes. I was sitting on the couch today because I'm down in Florida and I'm with my nieces. They live down here and um, I was working and they, the little one, she asked, she was like, Abby, um, can we, she asked me to do something later tonight. And I said, well, no, I said, we have to go to dinner. And then after that, I have to do my podcast. And she's like, what's your podcast about? And I said, it's about sports. And she's like, I want to listen to it. So I pulled out my phone and I put on the little icon and said, that's what B said. I was like, look, says that's what B said. And she was like, oh, I love it. So then I started playing it. Oh, no. And oh. she, I mean, like, granted, she got bored after like five minutes. But Did she still. hear Coach Zaddy? Was she saying Zaddy after? <laughs> oh, no. Her, the love of her life is Colin Sexy. Oh, that's yes. what she Colin Sexy. Yes, she loves of course. Him. So I did, I did one thing right in my life. I got the little one to love Colin Sexy. Oh, that's amazing. That's what he's going to be from now on. <laughs> but yeah, she loved it. She, you know, it's just so cool that we're doing something that little girls can look at and say, yeah, that's pretty neat. I, so I 100% agree. And also like shout out to the to the moms of girls, too, because I know my mom, my mom is one of our biggest supporters. She listens every Thursday on her five mile run. <laughs> And her five mile run. Are yeah, you I can't. Me? My mom is a beast. Hi, mom. She runs <gasps> oh five miles gosh. like every day. Wow. That's Stop. impressive. Yeah. Oh so, my gosh. What a yes. warrior. She is a warrior. I know. I have a lot of really great role models in my life. And Brittany, you, you tweeted too. on Sunday, I think, about how people give you crap for spending so much time with your family. And oh, yeah. I related to that so much because I moved back to my home, my little old dinky hometown. <laughs> So that I could be close to my family and see them more. And it was a really, right? it was a really important reminder on Sunday. Like it was time is that's, short. That's the most important thing that like I thought about. I was just like, my gosh, because I used to live in North Carolina. And one of the biggest reasons why I moved back to Ohio is because, you know, I, I realized like my parents are getting older. So my brother's down here. My sister's in Florida. I got to Somebody's got to get back up there and, you know, just and it, of course it was me because I'm super close with them and like. <laughs> my my dad's literally my best friend in the world. My dad and my cats. My sister well, makes fun of me all think, the time. I think She's Jerry like, will probably outlive us all. Let's be real. <laughs> Jerry, <laughs> Jerry's gonna be burning us all like while like while we're in the grave. He'll be and then he'll just like he'll have his little zingers. <laughs> uh, you want to hear a good uh, girl dad story? Yes. He's gonna he's gonna hate me for this one, but I'm gonna tell everyone because let me, let, let's throw Jerry Mollis under the bus for a second, <laughs> shall we? So my awesome girl dad, Jerry Mollis. Hi. Um, when I was in seventh grade, I I was at basketball, and let me just preface this by saying I was a terrible basketball player, <laughs> terrible, like the worst. 
So we were at practice and I was doing some sort of dribbling drills and I fell on a basketball like on my chest, right? Now, obviously, I'm not real uh, padded up there. (laughs) Although I probably was more padded in like seventh grade than (laughs) anybody. Beside the point. Um, I fell and I couldn't breathe. And I was like, oh my God, like I don't know what's happening. So we had to call my, my mom and she came to pick me up. And it was like, first of all, let me just say it was like maybe 15, 20 degrees outside. So it was very cold. It was hard to breathe. Um, so we went home and she's like, hey, Jer, can you take her to the emergency room? And he's like, Ohio State's coming on. <laughs> she's like, your daughter can't breathe. Can you please take her to the emergency room? So, okay, okay. So we, you know, scoot on over to the emergency room. We're sitting in the waiting room. We're there for probably about 20 minutes, right? 20 minutes. I'm still sitting there. I'm breathing like this. <gasps> <laughs> After 20 minutes, he's like, this is going to take all day. I'm not going to sit here and wait all day. Ohio State's on. Let's go. My dad made me leave the emergency room. Oh, no. So my mom took me back, right? She took me back. And um. It turns out my sternum was broken, which they, you know, you can't really do anything for it, but we had to know because I had to know what I could and couldn't do and whatever. So on our way home, uh, we'd run out of gas in the car and this was before cell phones and stuff. So it was just me and my mom and we're about a mile away from home and it's like 15 degrees outside. I can't breathe. (laughs) We had to walk home in the snow. Oh my gosh. Me and my mom in the snow. And we get there, my dad answers, he's like, where's the car? My mom's like, it's by the high school. Go get it. Girl mom. (laughs) Girl mom was not pleased. So girl dad took off down the, running down the street in the snow to go get the car. So that's my great girl dad. Everyone, I hope you like this Jerry Mollis story. Wait, are you going to, are you going to? tell everyone what your your dad has twitter which i don't know if everybody knows this i don't know if you want everyone to know this actually so you don't oh, have yeah. to answer Jerry Moss, that. his twitter is at barney demar there you go I think that's a simpsons character probably i think i think you might be right yeah i was wondering i'm like i don't right. understand his handle like his actual name <laughs> i think it's that drunk guy from the simpsons i'm pretty <laughs> sure <laughs> even better oh that's amazing Oh, well, this is a great transition into the Cleveland Browns because Coach Zaddy has a GM Zaddy. Yes. That was actually a horrible transition, but I don't know how else to do it. So (laughs) we're going to talk Browns now. And the Cleveland Browns signed uh, Andrew Barry, the former VP of football operations for Philadelphia, also previously with the Cleveland Browns. For three seasons. Yeah, we know he worked with Sashi, everyone. That is so old. Uh, He was (laughs) given a five... (laughs) Old news. He was given a five-year contract, which is the same length as uh, Kevin Stefanski. So, uh, guys, the nerds, we winning. It's another victory lap for the the nerds. The nerds stay winning. Actually, it's a huge victory lap for Brittany. I think you have a few to take. Listen, guys, I'm sorry that I'm right about everything, okay? (laughs) Like... (laughs) I was I was sitting there today and thinking about this. I'm like, oh my God. Okay, so Kevin Stefanski, I get the coach that I want. Andrew Barry, I get the GM that I want. Now I didn't want Kareem Hunt to be an idiot, but like I knew that was gonna happen and I've said it several times. 
So then he goes and he's an idiot. And I'm like, hmm. I just feel like everyone should start listening to me about everything. Because, guys, <laughs> I am a genius. <laughs> you, I love how you can't say it without laughing. I can't. I'm trying to stay really humble right now. But the universe is making it really hard for me. guys. It just keeps giving me everything that I want. I'm sorry. Well, Nostromalis over here is going to start doing bookie bets soon. People are going to like ask you what the what the over unders are. She's going to be more accurate than Vegas soon. <laughs> um, yeah, but as far as Barry goes, I'm very excited about this, and I I get you know he's part of the one in thirty one crowd. They're not happy. Um, I received <laughs> a lot of uh, I don't really care. Just go on the field and win. All those Dales they came. Oh yeah, Dales of course. Um, but no, like I've said plenty of times, like give me the smart guys. I said the other day, um, if if I have a choice, if I have a preference in anything in life, I want smart, calm people to be in charge of everything always because they're the best. It, they're the only people that I want to listen to ever. Wait, so, well, can, and like, and and here's the thing about one in thirty one, and one of the reasons why I don't put a lot of it on Andrew Barry is because I don't. I don't really think that he was in charge of a lot of decision makings in that one. What was he? The era. the player personnel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah VP of player then. personnel. So you had Sashi okay. Brown who had this plan. Like Sashi and Paul D. Podesta Sashi. had this plan, and they presented Sashi. it to Jimmy Haslam, <laughs> and Jimmy Haslam said, "Okay, do your plan." And then they brought mm-hmm. in Hugh Jackson, and Hugh Jackson said, "I don't want to do that." No, and so all of a sudden. You have this insane amount of infighting between Hugh Jackson and Sashi Brown and uh, Andrew Barry and Paul D. Podesta. Like it just they they had a vision and it was going to be a long term vision. It wasn't a win now thing. It was like, okay, let's win two or three years from now. And and Hugh Jackson said, Mm -hmm. no, I don't like Mm -hmm. this plan. I'm not going to follow this plan. And that's what caused one in 31. So I, I really don't see Andrew Barry as responsible for for that one in 31 dark times in the Cleveland Browns. And like, furthermore, like this is like a totally different time. The pieces that we have now aren't the same. This isn't a tear down process. This isn't a rebuild process. We're on a different, a completely different mission now with this team and this regiment. Like it's all different than it was. So saying that, oh, he was there. So he was obviously at fault, at least partially for what happened. Guilty by association. Um, yeah, you could say that, and you know, you that probably has some merit to it. I don't know. I wasn't in the building, so I, I <laughs> like whatever. But um, th- you can't compare the situations. The situations are completely different. They're getting smart guys together. They're going the the nerdy analytical route or whatever, like they did before. But again, it's not the same situation. This isn't the same old Browns. They're not rebuilding. They're not tearing everything down again. That's not what we have right now. Also, people keep bringing up the fact that they are all three reporting to Jimmy Haslam, which people are taking issue with. And mm-hmm. if you go back to the days of Hugh Jackson and Depot and Sashi, they were also all three reporting to Haslam. And then when John Dorsey and Freddie Kitchens came in, it was Freddie reporting to John, John to Jimmy. Mm-hmm. I think, again exactly what you were saying, Brittany, it's definitely different because the clear difference is the alignment. So Hugh mm-hmm. and Sashi and Depot were not aligned together. So that makes sense. At all. 
as to why they would all go to Jimmy and complain about different things. Now the hope is that Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry and Depot all have the same vision. So they're not going to be fighting and having all of these differences of opinions and then going to Mm -hmm. bitch about it to their boss. Well, and also the GM, the coach and, um, you know, and, and someone in a Paul D Podesta role, all three of them reporting to Jimmy Haslam or reporting to an owner is not an out of the ordinary situation. Like that happens all the time because I don't think that people realize like Andrew Barry is not Kevin Stefanski's boss and Paul D. Podesta mm-hmm. is not the boss of Andrew Barry yes. and Kevin Stefanski. They are essentially equal level employees that have different responsibilities and different jobs and they are mm-hmm. under you yes. know Jimmy Haslam's umbrella. And that's the way normal football teams operate. That's the way most of the 32 teams around the league do things. The GM and the coach will report to the owner. And it's not, you know, one is the boss of the other. So I think because, I don't know, we had this weird dynamic with John Dorsey wanting to be the boss of Freddie Kitchens. Yeah, he just controlled him. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think people kind of thought that that's the way it was supposed to be because there was so much trust in John Dorsey because we got this football guy in, you know, we got this (laughs) football guy in and he was, you know, he was bringing us Odell Beckham Jr. And he was, you know, drafting Baker Mayfield and bringing us, you know, all these great pieces. And so we had so much trust in John Dorsey that it didn't, we kind of didn't realize like, oh, by the way, him acting like he's the boss of Freddie Kitchens is what's abnormal, not the Andrew Barry, Kevin Stefanski each reporting to the, you know, to Jimmy Haslam. So I, I think that's a distinction that really needs to be made and that things are starting to, you know, the way this whole process happened was a little abnormal, but the way things are being set up with this current regime is more in line with what you see with the other 31 teams in the NFL. Okay. So one thing, something that I've been seeing is that there's this like weird section of fans who almost seem like they want this to fail completely. Really? Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. There are like this little section of fans and they have, they make their little memes and you know, they're all so hilarious to each other. And (laughs) (laughs) they're so funny guys. Why would you want them to fail? Because Isn't that important for them to feel like they're right about things? Yes. Is that what this is? They're bookmarking every all of our tweets right now. As we sit here and record this podcast, they're up bookmarking our tweets about supporting Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski. And if they start losing football games, it's going to come back. And all of our tweets will be out there and people will make fun of us. That's what's going to oh, happen. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. It, you know what? Make great. fun of me, guys. I don't... Same. Like, I give a shit. I mean, <laughs> I was about to say, you're like at the pool in Florida. Like, what do you care at this point? <laughs> right? Yeah, we can actually record a special podcast when that happens and we will just read everyone's mean tweets to us. Yeah, but we're going to have yeah. to be like at the beach when we do it like i think that's we're just gonna go to some random warm spot that has sand and surf and we're probably gonna get some adult beverages and read all your tweets yeah just come down here since i'm not coming back up (laughs) i was just gonna say Brittany, i've like come to realize now that there's just the same portion of the fan base that you're talking about there's a portion that legit won't be happy regardless of any decision that's being made like there will be something to complain about no matter what happens with the browns that is true i think even if they would have hired mcdaniels and you know he would have got all his guys in there um i think there there would just be a section of people that are just like you know and i don't like i get it to a point because they've failed so much and so often for so long 
but this is your team man this is what you have from you know september to you know december why not even just try to get excited is it gonna kill you to like try yeah right like you don't have to root for them like fine don't root for them don't right go on twitter log off for a minute people we're not gonna miss you man i'm (laughs) all about fullback season and revenge season revenge season yeah, if you're not aboard, get out. Get off the oh, zaddy wagon. <laughs> Stop well, adding also, me. Like, <laughs> the <what> zaddy wagon. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I love and admire about uh, people in Northeast Ohio is just how proud they are to live and be. And I am too. Like, I love Cleveland. I will talk Cleveland up to anyone who will listen to me talk about how much I love Cleveland. And so I love that support. For your city because i have lived places where people are just like man this place sucks i need to get out of here this is like I, i've seen mm-hmm. that and I, it's not just places that i've lived like my friends have moved across the country and they'll say you know negative things about the city that they live in but i don't really hear that in cleveland everybody loves it and i feel like especially if you're a sports fan supporting the browns is equal to supporting your city it, it's you know it's the same thing in my mind so i don't understand it's almost like saying well i want the browns to lose and i also want our economy to collapse like yeah you right. know that's it's it's all part of it it's all intertwined i i don't understand how you can be proud of cleveland but then want the browns to fail that doesn't make any sense to me yeah right. i tweeted about andrew barry first of all He's 32 years old, and that just made me reevaluate everything in my life. Like, what am I doing oh wrong? My. I think it's making a lot of people reevaluate their lives. I had so okay, many people. Okay, but in all fairness, I told you today, you're like Mrs. Incredible. Okay. Yes, so, like, Absolutely. please. You were way you too do... kind. Come on. I am the one of the three of us that should be reevaluating things, guys. <laughs> Let's be real here. I had so many people (laughs) respond and be like, I can't even manage my own fantasy football team. Like, (laughs) I just, I'm happy I like remembered to eat lunch today. Yeah. I put on mascara today and I felt like I really had my life together for the first time in about four months. I'll do my skincare regimen at night and be like, man, I'm really doing great things for myself by putting this moisturizer on. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's 32 years old and then. I was just really excited like that. What an amazing accomplishment to be 32 and to be a GM of an NFL football team. And the amount of people in my comments like, oh, are the Browns really a franchise? You guys are so funny. F you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. so let's talk about some of the positives of Andrew Barry, because there's a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, First off, um, I don't want to hear people talking about football guys because uh, newsflash Andrew Barry played football. He was a corner at Harvard and newsflash, another newsflash. The Ivy League actually does have very good athletics. They do have their football teams. They actually, they their hockey teams are second to none. I think Yale won the fours and four uh, like three years ago or something like that. So the Ivy League does have athletics. They have very good athletics. And so if you want someone who has played the game before, well, guess what? Andrew Barry has played the game. And I also, one of the things that I find that I really, really like about Andrew Barry is his ability to read people and to read situations. And I'm going to go into this a little bit because I think people are so obsessed with the numbers and the spreadsheets and the analytics and, you know, oh, is he going to make a good football judgment? He made a really good life judgment for himself when he left the Cleveland Browns. And it's not because, you know, it was, oh, he needed to leave Cleveland, but 
he was in a situation where John Dorsey was hired and then John Dorsey brings in his guys in Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith and uh, and Andrew Barry is still there. He doesn't get fired in this regime, but he's looking at the situation and saying, there's not going to be a lot of work for me here. I'm not going to be able to make a lot of decisions. I don't think I'm going to have a lot of influence. I need to go somewhere where I can grow and thrive. So he left and he went to the Eagles. And to me, that just shows him as a good judge of situations. Like he looked at this and said, John Dorsey, Alonzo Highsmith and Elliot Wolf are not you know, that's this isn't a situation where I can grow and become a better person and, you know, be better in the football world. So let me find a situation where I can. And he did that. And now he's a 32 year old general manager. So I just look yeah. at that and say that, you know, he he's a good judge of situations. And that gets me feeling confident about him and his ability to judge talent and judge football players because it's clear that he's looking at more than just numbers and spreadsheets and analytics he's looking at everything yeah yeah and i'm fired I, well, up now for the first thing we have to talk about from what he's done talking about being a smart guy guys it's happening we have a fullback on the <laughs> roster <laughs> I, I celebration. Like I don't even know why this is the most exciting thing that like ever happened. <laughs> Brown signing a fullback. <laughs> now in Britney's life, it's the best thing that's ever happened. <laughs> like I got so excited reading that today. I was Everything's like, oh coming God, up, Mollus. It really. That's another thing. I was just like, oh, he might not this even is play. <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> little little baby steps, right? I have real tears in my eyes now thinking about a fullback. <laughs> I can't. The weirdest things get me so excited, and I can't explain why. Like, but I, I was like, oh man, this is gonna be such a fun year. Fullbacks. Let's and you know, once I get excited about something, good luck keeping me on the rails because it ain't gonna happen. I just every time I'm gonna have T-shirts made. <laughs> We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna. Have, that's what B said. Uh, hashtag fullback season shirts. Yes, <laughs> I love like, that. I think we're just gonna have to have like season shirts. So we're gonna have revenge season, yes. uh, zaddy season, zaddy fullback season. Uh, I mean, yeah, if, now we got two zaddy. We got zaddy and we got like step zaddy. <laughs> yeah, like what are we calling our GM? Oh, I don't know, but he's a zaddy. He is. So we have Coach Zaddy. But he's so young. So, but you yeah. Can still, you can still be a Zaddy when you're young. Like the, I think I think Zaddy transcends age. Like if you take care of yourself and you're put together and you just you look as good as those men do, you're a Zaddy. I don't care if you're 22 or 32 or 62. You can be a Zaddy. I feel like he might be like I don't know, Zaddy Junior. Like Bay. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we got we got to think about it. We need people to pipe in on Twitter. Either way, it's Zaddy yeah, season. What can we call Andrew Barry? <laughs> yeah, we gotta come. I, mean, with... I know. I'll call him stuff in private. I sent you guys a gross text. <laughs> <laughs> the private, the private oh, tweet, the group text, the infamous group text. Can I share I'm on something? Vacation, all right. Can I share something about our group text though? That I yes. just will just provide some insight into our lives from from a listener perspective. So. It was on Friday night and Meredith sends a group text out and she was like, guys, I'm looking at our numbers on the pod and like, you know, we're doing a great job. She goes, because, you know, it's Friday and 
This is what I do on Friday nights. I check into our podcast numbers. I'm looking at the analytics of our yes, podcast. Yeah. And I was like, man, I love this. So it's, you know, it's like 630 p.m. And I respond back and I'm like, I'm at work right now. So like, cool. This is my Friday night. So like, I love that you're looking at analytics because I'm still currently working. And then like two hours goes by. And then we get a text from Brittany and Brittany's like, sorry, guys, I fell asleep. <laughs> We are just riveting. I can't believe we don't have our own podcast to talk about this stuff. <laughs> It'll be like a bonus pod where it's just like the life of us. <laughs> oh, man. I just well, had to laugh, like re- rereading through those. There, there that was pathetic. I took a nap at 630 on a Friday. <laughs> and you, you and Andrew are- Barry's my age running a football. <laughs> <laughs> perspective (laughs) can i read this quote from andrew barry so i so i I ran across this quote because i was actually looking for his college stats i wanted i wanted to see how he did at harvard but um yes i tried to read this to myself and i was fumbling over all of the words so please meredith take this (laughs) so i was looking i was looking for andrew barry stats at harvard um i couldn't find any but i'm i'm okay with that but he has uh, a page on i guess i guess harvard has this um big alumni page and so they have a profile on andrew barry on their alumni page and he was talking about analytics in real life and i love this quote where he says there's a certain logic and organization that comes from solving problems in this realm that can be more broadly applied to problems you tackle in the real world even ones that are not computer science based and that and he was talking about uh, relating his computer science degree to football, and I just I don't know why, but that just gave me tingles. I loved it. Like, just, <laughs> like gave you fanny flutters. <laughs> <laughs> like I got butterflies in my stomach reading that because he's looking at it and he's saying like, okay, these are my transferable skills to football. Like he's just I, I love smart people too. I really do. Like I, I know that my type. A lot of the uh, guys that I tend to date tend to be on the. Uh, jockey uh meathead side but man there's something about a good nerd that's right oh yeah you, you gotta try the nerds that's yeah. where it's at yeah although i say that and i've been single for like a decade <laughs> i don't know you're gonna have a lot of you i don't know like what what does the dm look like from a nerd do you have those um you know nerds don't really shoot their shots okay all right i respect I feel like that football guys are more like jumping D- in the dms oh, by the way when we were talking about football guys earlier you know you said that andrew barry's one but like in my mind when i think about football guys compared to nerds football guys are the guys that like sit at a bar by themselves and and you know drink beer and they're that's not a good description of them mm-hmm. anyone who loved john dorsey and wanted a statue made of john dorsey that's a football guy and the testicles on the back of the pickup truck and all that oh yeah you gotta have the balls on the pickup (laughs) truck and you gotta be blowing the black smoke out of those giant pipes for (laughs) what reason what does that even do it's like i don't know it's like exhaust or something that kills the environment yeah it really oh my god environment yeah, so those are the football guys. Yeah. The, and the ones that tell us to shut up because we never know what we're talking about. Because like, we're women. The, that's a football. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's You've never ridiculous. played the sport, girls. Well, guess what? You haven't either, Dale. <laughs> <laughs> I actually would like to start challenging these football guys to like any athletic event and just kick their butts. How you about know, that? We should. Oh my God. You I, would I, do I, it. So we I could. Always, so I always joked around um, 
I think it was like last year I was talking about having like a work combine because we're, you know, so obsessed with the combine. <laughs> oh my God, app. amazing. And I'm like, you know what? I'm sitting there and I'm looking at these events and especially for things like bench press and squat. I'm like, if you did body weight percentage, so if it wasn't like a pure number, if it was like, okay, you lifted this percentage of your body weight, I would like smoke all the dudes that yes. I work with. Like, I mean, my numbers like on paper for my lifts aren't very big, but for my body weight, they're huge. So, you know, I'm not going to outlift a guy who's 250 pounds, but I can lift more of my body weight than he can. So I was looking at that and I was like, man, I kind of want to have like a work combine and challenge all these dudes that I work with because I think I would smoke them in some of these lifting events. Yeah. We should do that. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. We can do it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to do it because, hello, but you guys should because you're <laughs> athletic. I want to see. I want to see these guys challenge Brie to like a free throw contest or something. And she oh would yeah, just, she would just go. She would snap all their ankles, kick their butts, cross yes, you over, play one on one. Yes, <laughs> game of horse, if you will. Uh, I will not challenge Brie to a game of horse because I am terrible <laughs> at basketball. Same. Oh, well, that's my first love. My first love. All right, guys. Well, next we are going to be joined by Jake Burns and get his thoughts on the new Browns GM hire and all of the latest Browns news. All right. So tonight we are joined by one of our favorite Twitter follows and a Cleveland Browns film analyst at the OBR, Jake Burns at Jake underscore Burns 18. Jake also hosts his own Blue Wire podcast called Browns Film Breakdown. So we are excited to have Jake on That's What B Said tonight. And Jake, we're going to call you Burns because that only fits with the <laughs> B said. We only have B's on our on our show. That's Outside correct. of Meredith. Meredith doesn't count. <laughs> I'm glad I don't count. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a B and an M. And I've always said a, a, B, a BM is very important to everyone's day. So. Uh, uh, those are my initials. Isn't that awful? Yeah, well, I, my, my, my middle name's Michael, so that'd be fine. M -M okay, good. Fine. So you're we'll an MB then. Yes, that's right. So, Jake, welcome. We apologize in advance. Um, if you've listened to us, you know that we're a little off the wall. No, no, I've listened and I'm a big fan. I, I think you three do fantastic stuff together. So I was excited when I pitched the idea that all three of you actually thought that, hey, we'll have this loser on to talk. To the Browns <laughs> and, uh, OK, well, this we actually segues into our first question, because, Jake, are you a football guy or are you a nerd? We need to know this right off the bat. <laughs> That's that's a good question. I mean, I think I'm a football guy. I'm not a numbers guy. I'm an English degree guy, so I don't, I don't, uh, I don't do numbers well. I mean, so I don't know if that like did they draw the line on on uh, on on being a football guy if you if you like to read and write. I don't. You're I don't not know. a football. Maybe that makes me a nerd. Guy. Yeah, like, I'm, like a, I'm like a th I'm like a thespian, no, a thespian <laughs> football guy, I guess, in a sense. If you um, like intellectual things, you're not a football guy. That yeah, those are yeah. these are my rules. So I'm like the Andrew Barry. Of, the I'm like the Andrew Barry of, of football writing. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a combination. That's right. With without there the Harvard degree, far from it. Liberal arts, really. I respect it. Really impressive stuff. So, do yeah, you drive I'm a, a pickup truck? I do not. I do not. I drive a. Uh, we have a Rav Four for the little guy, and then we have a Civic. So, no pickup okay. trucks are out. I'm, I'm really. I guess I'm not. I mean, I was a quarterback, and I was a softy, and all that stuff. So I'm. I'm not a football guy. I'm. I'm, I'm outside that realm. Okay, you're so were you like the like you were like the sunshine of your football team? Like if we're gonna do a remember the Titans uh, <laughs> reference, were you sunshine? I guess I'd, I'd align more sunshine than uh, you know than than the opposite. Or what was the 
What was the other quarterback's name? The, what was I don't know the option guy. I forget. I should. This is embarrassing. I should know his name. But um, no, I I didn't have long hair by any means. But I was certainly a thinker. I think I'm still a thinker, and I think I try to think outside the box. So I lean more sunshine in the uh, remember the Titans um, quarterback dichotomy. Yeah. Well, speaking of being a thinker. You have a lot to think about because the Browns finally announced uh, their GM hire and Andrew Barry. And, uh, you know, nothing divides Browns Twitter quite like hiring people um, within the organization. So, Jake, what is your take on our, our nerd? The nerds have won. We're up 2-0. Nerds. Woo! Nerds to football guys. Just FYI. Look, I <laughs> cheering in the background. Uh, <laughs> no, like, I, think, I think you can't have enough smart people. I, I do think... You know, culture is, I think Kyle Shanahan made a really good point of, of culture is just a bunch of good people that, 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 that share a value and share a common goal. And there's nothing that comes between, you know, people who make good decisions and, and, and you know, are unified in chasing a singular pursuit. And I think that that is the biggest thing that I wanted for this entire search was, you know, Jimmy Haslam's always a wild card. You guys know that. Everybody in the Browns fan base knows that. You don't really know how much meddling he's doing. You don't really know, uh, you know, sort of if, if the, the, the words that are being put out there, are they true about how he's, you know, releasing the reins? What you, Nobody knows. So what you want to see is people who you think can align in a vision align in a path. And it obviously started with uh, Paul DePodesta and, 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 the faith that they're putting in Paul, which is is great in my opinion, because I think a guy who literally changed an entire sport is somebody that you should take very serious in your own realm. Whether it's you know Paul shaped modern baseball in a sense, I don't think that you have as much of a football background as he does, and not be able to study the right things, understand the things that he needs to understand, and not be able to make some pretty solid decisions. Not that he's perfect, and Paul will admit that he's not perfect. But I, I, I believe that he can do some really good things for this football team, not in the sense that it's a tanking team anymore, but a team that's going to try to pursue getting better and being a better product immediately. Because I think that's the biggest thing that gets lost, guys, is that, you know, when, when Deepadesta and, and Sashi Brown were really reeled into this whole thing, they weren't looking to compete right away. They were looking at a long vision. And while they have a little bit of a long vision going on right now, they know that they can compete right now and some of those pieces are in place. So it shouldn't be those 1 in 31 feelings anymore. So my biggest thing with committing to DePodesta was just hire the coach and the GM who can who can fall into that vision of what you want it to look like. They hire Stefanski after, you know, courting the idea of Josh McDaniels, who I thought they did a nice job of really giving him time and giving him the opportunity and platform to 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 voice what he thinks is best fit for them and what he thinks is best fit for his coaching career. And it, it, it just kept coming back to Stefanski. And I think that's what is fascinating. And then as it moved into the GM decision, they, they obviously had a really close connection there with, with Peyton. And I think that that is another thing that's awesome, in my opinion, is they gave that guy two interviews because they were probably leaning Andrew Barry the entire time. Andrew Barry is the guy who, by all accounts, and you're, you're trusting the accounts that are out there, and we'll talk more about this later, but you're trusting the accounts that are out there. And there's a lot of accounts that, that really say Andrew Barry was the driving force behind bringing Kevin Stefanski to 
um, the forefront last year as a candidate when they hired Freddie was was Andrew was uh, pushing for Stefanski, brought him in front of De Podesta, brought him in front of Haslam as this is a guy I believe in. And I think that that was always going to be something that they were going to circle back to if they thought Andrew was ready to be a GM. It still blows my mind he's only 32 and I'm about to be 31 and I sit behind a keyboard and he's running, you know, all that stuff. But, um, <laughs> you know, the, the the thing that I wanted more than anything was just alignment. And people, when I tweeted that out and people poke at it and, you know, because they just, pessimism and all that stuff is, is, uh, is the way to go. Like, it's... I can't say they're going to win games. I've been very stunned about this ever since. Um, you know, I, I really believed in Freddie. I, I can't. I can't promise that Kevin's going to win games. I'm not going to sit here and, and pound the table and say Andrew Barry was the perfect hire and he's going to do a great job of turning this whole thing around. And you know, we don't know. That's there's 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 wild cards in all of these positions, whether GM or head coach, whatever, with things that we don't know as people that are on the outside looking in. Like we maybe know 20% of what we need to know about Andrew Barry and maybe even less about Kevin Stefanski. But do they have some traits that people who know them well talk about? Because I don't think people make those up. And you read a lot about that. And I've talked to a lot of Minnesota people and Andrew Barry was is is as spoken as highly as you can be spoken of at his age and a prospective general manager and all those things by people in Indianapolis and people in Philadelphia. You like the traits of these guys and you like the unified vision of where they're going. So that much I really like. And to be honest, guys, I didn't care if they hired Josh McDaniels and had him align with people from his, you know, Northeast Ohio connection from Casario, from New England, whoever it was. I just wanted them to be aligned because I'm sick of reading about multiple people going to Jimmy Haslam and trying to bend his ear from different directions. That stuff, no matter where it is, whether it's Cleveland or Detroit or Florida, um, you know, with with the Dolphins, whoever, whatever, even sport, it's never going to work. It's just it could work. You could have a miracle that happens once or twice, but it's never going to be something that has continued success. So the biggest thing I wanted was for them to find an aligned vision and people uh, on the same page and you get the vibe. I get the vibe that that is it. They're, they're football guys because they've been around football. They've played football. The Ivy league stuff is like a, a, a joking point, but these guys have all played football. They know football and um, there's some inexperience in making draft selections that I think might take some time to learn, but I'm encouraged by the five-year contracts and hopefully Jimmy is going to let it ride out. So that's, I probably ate up four minutes, but that's where I'm at with it. I mean, I just think that they aligned finally um, and it feels like finally they have a sharp guy running the team from a head coach perspective. They have a sharp guy who can learn from things, running things as a GM. And it feels like finally, fingers crossed, Jimmy's going to give them an opportunity over a stretch of time to do that. Yeah, so Jake, uh, you've been breaking down a lot of film lately, and more specifically, actually Minnesota Vikings film, to gather insights on our new head coach, Kevin Stefanski. What do you think, based on watching that, we as fans can expect to see next year? What will be the biggest change coming off of probably one of the most disappointing seasons we've had? It's a good question. I, 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 I think that what you will see is an, an offense that you guys – probably remember from 2014 um when Kyle Shanahan yeah when Kyle Shanahan got a lot of really good things out of some marginal talent uh we know whether it was Brian Hoyer or Andrew Hawkins later in his career or Miles Austin late late in his career or 
Josh Gordon when he came back from one of his multiple suspensions. They got a lot out of a a pretty de- a pretty average to below average uh, skill position group, and they did so with the offense that Kyle's running and is sort of spread around the league again. Um, that 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 wide zone scheme that has a bunch of really fun piggybacking things off of it, and. Um, you know, so I think what you'll see is uh, a lot of lateral running. Nick Chubb that, that can that does it really well. And the Browns did a lot of outside zone this year is what it's called, wide zone or outside zone, where they're stretching the perimeter, letting Nick use his uh, plus vision, really good vision, to sort of pick that. There's, there's three paths that go on there as a running back. You can either bounce it around the edge, you can bang it up inside, kind of inside the alley that the tackle and guard or tight end and tackle create for you, or you can bend it and cut back to the backside if over-pursuit happens. They did a lot of that this year, um, but they'll do it in a more refined manner next year. I think that's the biggest thing, as you will find, is um, the difference in the attention to detail and the game plan structure and how they go about picking apart defenses will be much different with Kevin than it was with, with Freddie. I just don't think Freddie was able to handle that. There was not a really great attention to detail going on there. And that's the biggest thing I've noticed. I've done three parts of this study of Kevin's offense. The first one was the wide zone. The uh, the second was their play action off of it. And they got a ton of fun play action uh, booting off the backside of things. And you can easy throws to tight ends, easy throws on drag routes to wide receivers, tight ends, and then, and then some really fun shot plays deep down the field that you guys should like that go to that go to you know Odell and Jarvis and some of those guys um, over the top of defenses and it's really good for a quarterback too it, it was Kirk Cousins career year last year in that offense a lot of um, moving the pocket a lot of really fun deceptive stuff that clears up second level of defenses so quarterbacks don't have to find those linebackers and safeties uh, you know, being pesky up near the line of scrimmage that can give guys fits. So that's the good part. Um, there's, there's, I did the third part was their screen game. The Vikings were the best screen team in the NFL. That's something that I feel like Browns fans have sat back and watched other teams throw screens on them ad nauseum over the last 20 years. I think hopefully we will see the best screen game we've seen since 2014, which is just really well coached, really good timing all of that stuff. So there's another part that will come with sort of their West Coast passing stuff when they have to really buckle down and throw. Some of those things are fun to look at, and we'll look at those next week. But it's going to be a different offense than we're used to seeing, and I, I always tell people the most fun I had watching a Browns team was 2014 because they always felt so dedicated to an identity of that wide zone and all of the fun little wrinkles you can have off that. And we're watching Kyle Shanahan thrive. You know, obviously Kyle left, uh, wanted to leave – for obvious reasons that we don't need to talk about, goes to Atlanta, <laughs> gets them to the Super Bowl, running that same system, and has, you know, had it thrive in, in, um, in, in San Francisco. And you know, Matt, Matt Lafleur has done the same. He's taken it to from his time with Sean McVay and the Rams. He's taken it to 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 the Packers, and they've done well with it. And it's just a really fun scheme that I think is going to continue to sweep the NFL. Um, it dates back to Gary Kubiak and Mike Shanahan before him. And, um, you know, obviously Gary Kubiak won a Super Bowl with Peyton using it. It's, it's a really good scheme if you have a quarterback who's willing to hang in, um, can, can, can make throws from different variety of, of launch points in the pocket, out of the pocket, has big-time arm strength, and, and I think Baker has that ability. It's going to be a little bit of a learning curve for him. Hopefully they let this learning curve be the last learning curve for a while. Um, you know, and not shuffle in anybody else or change what they're doing schematically. But that's what we're looking at. It's going to be more 
if you watch the Super Bowl, you watch the NFC Championship, those types of offenses are what you're looking at from a, a an overarching um, schematic thing. So there's still more to know. Are they going to hire Mike McDaniel, the pass game coordinator, sorry, run game coordinator um, in San Francisco, and bring him in with O'Shea, the pass game coordinator, and kind of make all that work? I don't, I don't know if Kyle will let those guys leave, or, or Joe Woods is kind of being poked around about um, San Francisco trying to keep him somehow their secondary coach. So there's still stuff to sort out. But you feel good about what Stefanski's doing from an offensive standpoint. When I've studied it, I'm very encouraged. If you watch that and you watch what they did in 2014, you can certainly see the the, the connection there and what their vision is with Nick Chubb as a runner, the two wide receivers who can get open downfield, double moves, that kind of stuff, and a quarterback who can really drive the football downfield. It all makes sense. Like I think Kevin has a bunch of good traits. He's a smart guy, very um, willing to use numbers to sort of offset conventional coaching standards. Uh, but the biggest thing is they liked his offense for this roster, and they like that modern approach, and I think it's going to be a big thing for them. So you hope it's going to work. I think the thing I will say before I shut up here is the thing that's people forget about 2014 is while they did have marginal skill talent to an extent, they had a really good offensive line. Then it featured Alex Mack, that featured Mitchell Schwartz, who are all pros, who have gone on to other destinations, not to mention you know, Joe Thomas at the peak of his powers at left tackle. And you can't overlook that. They have to address the two tackle positions in the offseason, and they have to sort of see if Miles, or sorry, um, Wyatt Teller is their right guard of the future. Because I do think, if you look at the 49ers, they have very good offensive line. Uh, they, they, they get the most out of their guys, two pretty good tackles. Um, and then, you know, Green Bay obviously has two dominant tackles too. So you have to, you have to find those guys because you're asking your tackles to do um, really tough things. So they have to improve tackle, and then they have to improve tight end as well. Maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit. But those are my big takeaways. But you should be excited. As Browns fans, you should be very excited about what this offense should look like and um, you know the, the, the fit between the talent that's here, some of the talent that can be obtained, whether through free agency or, or the draft, and sort of how it could all mesh together. It could be a lot of fun. All right, so when we're talking about talent scouting, like that's one of the things that Andrew Barry is is being brought in for. But I know a lot of people are having a lot of the, uh, I guess, PTSD from 1 in 31. So how much of 1 in 31 would you put on Andrew Barry? Another another good question. I mean, I think I think the vision of where they were when Andrew was here it's it's tough to really get a feel for what he was air quotes in charge of and what was being overruled and what was being um you know directed in a sense that they were for a while there trying to lose football games to an extent their coach was terrible it's not a secret they they their football outsiders has documented how they they left five wins on the table in their own 16 year games they should have won I don't think that they were trying to win necessarily, um, but they should have won more games. I don't know if, if not trying to win is the way to say it. They weren't committed to, say, pursuing all avenues that meant burning up assets to chase the short term, if that makes sense. So the the mindset was completely different 2016 and 2017. Andrew Burry was an active part of John Dorsey's 2018 draft, that brought in some of the pieces everybody likes, and that's a good thing before he then departed to Philadelphia. But I don't think you can you can fairly look at 
Andrew Barry and say he was a he was a big part of one in thirty one. Well, the, the 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 frame of mind at that time was different. They were they were certainly trying to gather as many assets as possible, and if that meant sacrificing somebody who could help them in the short term for the big picture, long term goal, they were going to do that. That is not going to be the plan moving forward. They think. They genuinely think, and I think they're right in thinking this, that they have enough pieces to compete. There are obviously um, some holes to fill, some relatively large holes to fill, um, you know, for this roster still. But they do; their frame of mind will be different in attacking this this whole um, draft and free agency in terms of saying we think we have pieces in place. We have a, still have a rookie, um, you know, rookie pay scale quarterback going on here in his rookie contract, and we still think we can attack things. So. I'm very fascinated by this offseason because it's completely different. You have an analytically driven group that has a, a nice mixture of scouting, of, of live scouting and those sorts of things who are coming into a different situation, who are coming into a let's win now situation instead of a let's clean up the disaster that was going on here before and gather as many assets as we can, suck in the short term, plan for the long term thing. Um, while the assets are different than what they left behind when, when Sashi Brown was, was fired and that that whole plan seemed to sort of uh, fade off into the distance. It is still attainable to to add enough pieces here. So I think it is the most interesting offseason they've had in a while because the approach is completely different from the last time it was an analytical approach. So how they go about acquiring talent with the draft picks that they have and the, and the free agency dollars they have, and some big decisions on players that are currently on the roster who have some outs in their contract. It's going to be fascinating to see sort of how they attack it, but it is not a one in 31 mindset. So they should be uh, approaching this thing pretty, pretty aggressively. Well, and another thing that's like interesting with this trio is their age. So you've got Andrew Barry, who's 32. You've got Kevin Stefanski, who's 37. And I think Paul DePodesta is either late thirties, early forties. But then you also see guys like Kyle Shanahan, who are young and Sean McVay, who are young. And you see the success that those two have had. You think if the Browns have similar or the same kind of success with these really, really young guys, do you think that we're going to see a shift in the NFL going towards these younger, more number driven guys and less towards the, you know, let's bring John Gruden and Mike Mayock out of retirement and bring them in? Yeah, I mean, I already th- sort of think it's trending that direction. Um you know, it's not it's not the mass approach, but it is trending there. I, I think that you know people had, had complained about well, the Browns let Kyle Shanahan get away, and well, yeah, I get that. It, it was tw- it was 2014. It was very different. People weren't hiring young head coaches to to pursue win now franchise situations. They weren't they weren't doing that. There have been young coaches hired in the past, but it was not a um, young coaches and we expect them to come in and win right away sort of thing. And it shifted with Sean McVay and then it trickled down into some of these other hires we've seen. Obviously, Kyle's one of them and Matt LaFleur is one of them. They will they will keep spreading. They will keep having these opportunities if these guys like, you know, the last two Super Bowls have featured one of these young coaches. And uh, I think the Browns' vision is, hey, if we're going to find success, it would be great if we could find it with somebody like Kevin Stefanski at the age of 37 than, um, you know, maybe uh, Ron Rivera in his 50s or Mike McCarthy in his 50s. We, they want something that they see can last for a long time. Now, is that the, the only factor, that this guy has to be young and someone who can stay for a long time? No, I don't think I don't think that's the only factor, but I think it's part of the equation they're putting together. The same with Andrew Barry. I mean, if Andrew Barry is a really good GM and – you know, he could be here 30 years and still only be 62. I mean, that's kind of mind-boggling to think about. 
um, if if they do strike gold with these guys and they do find this really good alignment and they do find um, you know success over decade, th- these guys could be here for a really really long time. So I do think to answer your question, I do think it's trending there. Um, it's not quite there because I just don't think these guys grow on trees. Like I just don't think there's a ton of Kyle Shanahan's out there, or, you know, a ton of these. Stefanski types out there when they're out there teams try to hold on to them as best they can for the most part um but uh you know it's it's something that I think if you present yourself at a young age and have that have shown that ability to handle a uh, an offense or a defense whatever it might be you know and you you show that ability to do this sort of stuff and Matt Rule is another example coming from college a younger guy you know relatively young you can show you can do it owners are are inclined to say hey man i want a guy who's going to be here for a long time so we'll we'll hire them it's just that these guys aren't out there everywhere they're starting to show up a little bit more often like mike mcdaniel who was with cleveland obviously with kyle in 2014's wide receivers coach has battled his own sort of inner demons um and has come out on the other side he's going to be a really good head coaching candidate at some point he's a young guy too so if you can find these guys and 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 make one of them, and you believe in one of them to be your head coach, then then I think people will hire them. It's just they're not out there everywhere, so teams aren't able to hire every single one of them and snatch them up real quick. Some guys just get in over their head way too way too quick, and and it just doesn't work out. Obviously, like Josh McDaniels is a great example of that. Somebody who was just hired too young and was too pompous and and needed some hubris in his life and all of that stuff. So. It's a wild card, but you're looking at the last two Super Bowls. Like we said, you're finding that young savant to to handle um, your team. And if you can do that, like Kyle Shanahan could be in San Francisco for the next 20 years and do some really fantastic things. So you feel great about that. So that's that's what you should feel good is if if Cleveland gets this right, is you have potentially, you know, the, these two guys could be here for the entire stretch of my adult, you know, football life, which would be really cool, you know. So today the Browns sign fullback Johnny Stanton. How excited are you for fullback season? <laughs> First off, Johnny Stanton sounds like the fakest name I've ever heard. It sounds like a creative <laughs> right? player, unlike Matt. You know, he looks like, like a Ken like, doll too. Yeah, like he was on like Real World 2009 or something like that. I don't know. It's, Just like the hey, fakest. He does. We stand for the real world on this call. I, I do. I don't know about anybody else. Yeah. You I are mean, describing I mean, his looks world. perfectly, by the way. <laughs> I mean, it just like I, I thought it was a fake thing. But no, he's he's a real human being who they like in Minnesota. If you, if you go back and read about some of their um, – I'm weird like that. I go back and read about some of their preseason cuts. They liked him. They think he has some really redeemable traits. It's just you don't really carry an extra fullback on your roster, and they have C.J. Ham, who they love. Um, so they put him on the injured reserve and hope that they could hold on to him. And um, Stefanski obviously <laughs> has really good information on this guy, and they need a fullback, so they signed him. He's you know, a former quarterback at UNLV, and he's been – to some different places in his football career that have been fascinating and wait did you say he's a former quarterback yeah he played quarterback and converted and and what? Um, yeah his story is pretty interesting actually if you get get some time to read about it but yeah he converted to fullback and is uh he's a mean sob he's an he's a he's a player I, I i'm not sure he ends up making the roster or he ends up being the guy at fullback but i think it was a sneaky you know, a sneaky good hire, and people are going to be like, well, here come all the Minnesota players. Well, everybody typically does that, Where you know, when you come from wherever you come from. It's just like with Dorsey, though, he's signed all the shitty Chiefs players, you know? so um, Excuse um, me, they were real <laughs> football players, okay? He said so real, himself. They were football real, guys. Real Metal shitty. character. They were real players. 
real shitty. But nonetheless, you hope <laughs> you, you you hope that he can you know if they if they do attack some guys from Minnesota, they can uncover some young players that um, you know have some potential, or they go and get some people like you know Minnesota's cap situation is terrible, so they're they're going to have to let go of some people. Anthony Harris, one of their safeties. Um, was one of Pro Football Focus' highest-graded safeties and is a really fun player who's going to hit free agency. They could end up cutting Kyle Rudolph, their tight end, um, with Ohio Roots, and he could be a guy that they could look at, um, you know, obviously. So I, I don't mind going back and getting people from where you've been from, but just make sure they're good, you know? Like, mm. don't waste your time bringing in people you are familiar with just because you're familiar with. Don't Don't bring in... Eric Cush because you knew him from like don't you don't need to do that go go yeah. scout trust your scouting department to make you know fair evaluations on players and go out and sign different people not people you know have a, a ceiling that is very limited but you know them you know so I hope that's how yeah. they approach it but yeah I'm, I'm excited for fullback season I am breaking they use the fullback more than anybody in the league last year um, I am so excited for this yeah it's 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 a it's an integral part of what um, this offense is known to do and you, you know Ray Agnew was the fullback in 2014 for Shanahan's offense and I think you can skin the cat in a ton of different ways with fullbacks um, they don't have to all be Kyle Juszczyk's out in San Francisco all pro players that's nice if you can find one like him or even like I said CJ Ham, who they had in Minnesota those guys are fun but you don't have to waste a ton of money on that spot if you find the right people and um, maybe Johnny's that guy I don't I don't know he's got a he's got a funny name and and um, maybe he's a <laughs> Maybe he's a hell of a player. We'll see. But I, I do think they're going to bring in a couple more fullbacks to try to kind of figure out who they want that player to be. But it's a it's a big part of that offense that they like to use them a little bit in the passing game. They obviously like to use them in, um, you know, as a lead blocker in their wide zone stuff and do some creative things and play action with them. So it will be somebody you see on the field. And that's kind of what's the funniest thing is, you know, you talk about the football guy or the nerd and, and you always associate football guys with, with fullbacks and using the lead blocker and blah, 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 all those cliches that come with football. Well, it's the nerds yeah. who want fullbacks back. So maybe we that's can all so unite on fullback, on fullback life. That's uh, that's kind of an interesting twist in that whole conundrum. It is. I'll have to very ask interesting, Yeah, very interesting point there that you raise. Yeah, now I'm thinking. I'm going to be thinking about that when I go to bed tonight. Be like, why do nerds <laughs> like fullbacks? Yeah. What, what gonna, is the analytics enti- behind this? <laughs> we're going to yeah. do an entire pot on fullbacks now just because <laughs> it's it's just another way the nerds are going to win. That's right. That's okay, right. They, more... they lost it, but yeah, they're, they're certainly an important part of what they do. So um, football guys are going to have to give in a little on that. Yes. We have one more question for you. Um, should the Browns keep Kareem Hunt? Man, um, tough. I listen. Everybody's been through something in their life. Um, some some things are more serious than other things. Uh, you know, people people make mistakes. I don't think that that's anything groundbreaking. I'm telling you guys, but I think that there are some people who don't view uh, their mistakes as serious as other mistakes or whatever. I don't. I just don't think people live perfect lives, and I don't think most people understand that. Um, and, and, you know, everybody probably has some situation or some thing they would they would do anything in their power to to uh, to reverse. And, and and I don't know, maybe that's what hit me so hard with the Kobe stuff is like how fleeting this all can be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that the, 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 there's nobody infallible in this world. And, you know, 
I, I, the biggest, you, you watch what happened with Kobe and you had this idea that this guy was just invincible and there was nothing that could ever happen. I mean, I just imagined, you know, Kobe is 60 year old gray haired guy and him and LeBron on the sidelines of a game. They're watching maybe LeBron's grandkids at that point. God, I don't know, or whatever they're doing and just yucking it up. And I'm talking to my son and saying, Hey man, those guys were, those were it, man. And it's just like, I think, I, I was never, and I'm, I'm taking this in a different path, but I'll get, I'll circle back to Kareem. It's like I never, I never was a Kobe fan. I never, and it wasn't because of 2003 or anything like that. I just never, you know, I was a LeBron guy, and LeBron was the guy, and and um, you know, I, I I just never felt. But I don't know. I, I cried like five different times just because, you know, we only have one life. We only have one chance at this whole thing, and and there are parts of us that are that are that are just so used to certain things and Kobe being Kobe and, and doing what he does and then going to do all of these fun things off the court. You just never, you know, you never imagine a world without him in it. And there are others who would do this to me too, but it was Kobe that passed unfortunately. And it was, it was just very jarring. And then like you listen the next day, TMZ drops the thing with Kareem and you just, you hear Kareem's voice trembling and you hear, a guy saying phrases like "I'm the worst person," you know, and and uh, um, you, you just think that, in my opinion, and some people got on me on Twitter because it's what they do, but I just don't hear a guy who has totally forgiven himself. Um, yeah. I think when you make a mistake, and you you know, I don't blame any person who looks at someone else's mistake and they say, "I'm above that. I would never do that." That's great. I'm I'm happy for people that that make those great decisions in life and they should be applauded and all of that. But people make mistakes that they, they genuinely wish they could take back and there's nothing they can do. And the hardest thing when you make some of those mistakes is knowing you can't take it back and that you hurt people and that you hurt uh, people in a way that you probably can never fix it. And you blame yourself. You blame yourself so uh, you know, so harshly that it's hard to look in the mirror and say, I forgive you. Not, not, not people come, you know, it's nice when people give you forgiveness, but it's hard to, to, to someone in, in Kareem's shoes to look at himself in the mirror and say, I forgive myself. I, I can move past this. I can find some inner peace. And the Browns gave him another chance and that's great, but I don't think he's forgiven himself. And I don't think he's moved past letting go of what that, what, you know, he had in Kansas City, which was just an ideal franchise situation for the next 10 years of his life with Pat and, and all of those guys. And he sees them in the Super Bowl. And um, he, he, to me, as I listen to that, I, I'm fearful, fearful for him. Because if you don't forgive yourself and truly put the situation behind you, which is not, God, it's not easy. It's, it's really genuinely not easy to do. It's easy to sit and and talk about the guy and say, I, I just don't get why he can't. It's not, it's really not easy. Um, and I don't think he's there yet. Will he get there? I don't know. That's his journey. That's his, that's his inner conscience. He's got to deal with all of that. But um, I just don't feel like he's healthy. I don't feel like his mind is healthy. I don't feel like being in, in your hometown can sometimes not make it better. People think it can, but it sometimes doesn't. And I'm worried about him. I, I don't know what way the Browns will go. I would, uh, I would certainly, I would certainly be afraid as Andrew Barry coming in and having him on this team, not because of the person, but just because of the value asset stuff of what he's doing um, with this team and where it's going and placing faith in Kareem. 
it's hard. I would give guys seven chances if I could, because you you know when you cut them and you cut them loose, you're really putting them in. You're putting the human being in, in a bad spot. And they, look, I get it. Eventually, you have to stop giving people chances, and you have to. They have to become better people. But it's just, it's really hard. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I'm even giving a good answer here, but like, it's just, it's very challenging to lose everything like Kareem did. And you look, he's back in the NFL and that's great. And he's getting a second chance, but he's, he still sounds like a guy who's not over losing everything that he's lost. So until he can make peace with that situation and make peace with where he's at as a human in life, He's not going to stop drinking and he's not going to stop smoking weed. And I, and listen, th those things are not evil. <laughs> They're not evil. And I, smoking weed is whatever and drinking alcohol is whatever, but you got to find a way to, to put yourself in the right situations if you're going to do them. And you certainly have to understand that the NFL has strict code against them and you're in a, in a tight ship as it is. So at that point, he's telling himself in his mind, I'm so depressed or I'm so down that I would rather I would risk it all again to, to do this. So yeah. to me, as just a, a person on the outside, I don't know Kareem from anybody else. He seems like a guy who is still very depressed and has not moved past the things that have happened to him. And um, I just hope he can get there. I don't know if he gets there at 20, 27 or whatever, or if he gets there at 47. I just hope he gets there because it's a really dangerous, um, it's a really dangerous path to walk. Um, I, I, I don't have a problem with him being here because I want to see him put in an environment with people that can hopefully support him. I hope he's getting that here. I also don't blame them if they say we can't take this risk moving forward. So um, me personally, I would I would try to, to figure out a way to to keep the young man and help him. Um, but again, I'm not sitting here saying, especially people who have an, an, an issue with what he did two years ago. I, I get it. You're, you're entitled to your opinion. And I'm not going to sit here and argue with you and say you're wrong. I just have a different perspective on this stuff. So um, I, I'm, I would hope that you could try to find a way to make him healthy or help him find that path to, to, uh, to health. So listen, I'm sorry, that took a while. But I just, you no, know, it was like, it's like super motivating. And yeah. I think the frustrating thing with, um, with Kareem and this most recent incident is that it was just, it was a traffic violation. He was speeding and that was it. And unfortunately he happened to have, you know, marijuana and alcohol in an open container in his car, which is not good. If this was anybody else on the Browns, it would have been a blip on the radar, but because it's Kareem Hunt, because he's had so many problems with drugs and alcohol in the past, this is a story and it becomes a big deal. And I think that's the frustrating part for fans and it's a frustrating part for the Browns and it's also frustrating for for Kareem because I know that he's a very valuable player he's one of the best running backs in the NFL but when you're looking at your roster saying well we have Nick Chubb you know is it worth this headache if this is going to happen again because even if it's a similar situation where okay Kareem Hunt gets stopped for speeding all of a sudden it's a story is the are the Browns going to want to deal with that PR nightmare that's inevitably going to come back around so I think that's kind of where, what I'm looking at in terms of keeping Kareem versus cutting him because he does become a restricted free agent, uh, I think in like a month or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if they'll end up. Um, I had thought before the incident that they were going to put a tender on him at some point, whether a second or a third or something along those lines. But you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if they don't, if they just let him walk at this point too. I think all of it is on the table. Um, 
because I don't think he's a vital, really, really vital part of them winning next year and into the future. He could help, obviously. He's very good. But uh, he's not a vital part of things. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm just hoping we don't read something in three years that is really sad, you know, because there's so much of that in this world. And, and um, you know, I think, like I said, I just think people make mistakes sometimes and, and, and do uh, things that they wish they could take back. And I think that he's got to find, he's got to find, that was the first thing my mind thought of is, is if this guy's okay with, 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 you know, telling people that he would fail a drug test because he's still using marijuana or, or drinking, well, you know, with an open container or whatever, he's, he's okay with risking that stuff still. It doesn't, it doesn't mean enough to him to, 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 uh, to stop from doing that stuff. So it tells me people typically who are depressed or have an addiction, which he could have both in this case, um, those are the sorts of things they do. And I, I just don't, I've seen friends with addiction problems and I've seen friends with depression problems and I've battled depression myself as most humans in this world do. We don't like to talk about it, but it's something that we should talk about more. And I just, I just hope, um, he can come out of it. Okay. I hope he can come out of it. Okay. And, and, um, and, and, and if that's getting that path to okayness in Cleveland, great. If it's not, and I hope he finds it elsewhere. Yeah, Jake, this was awesome. Thank you for all of your insight. Um, guys, if you are not following Jake, make sure that you find him on Twitter at Jake underscore Burns 18. Download his podcast. Um, you're on Apple and Spotify. Is that right, Jake? Yeah, um, I think so. I think we're probably somewhere else, but those are, yeah, those are the big ones. Two main. Right now, so. Okay. Brown's yeah. film breakdown. Find him, follow him, listen to him, read his content, watch his videos. He is a wonderful, wonderful follow, and I'm sure you'll have much more leading up to the draft. Yeah, of course, and 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 um, thanks for the kind words. Obviously, I'm I'm a big big fan. You guys joined the Blue Wire stuff we have going here. I was really excited because you bring unique perspective, and I think there need to be more, um, you know, female voices in media that that girls can can listen to. I mean, 16, 17, 18 year old girls can listen to and say, I want to do that. That sounds fun. Look how much fun they're having, but also giving great information and and. Um, you know, the, I hate to say it again, but the Kobe stuff just kind of brings that around. Like you just yeah. need the girls mm-hmm. need it, and um, sure. Amen. I you made me smile really hard through the microphone. <laughs> yeah. I'm smiling really hard, everyone. Yeah, we can just, we just, can feel it and hear it through the <laughs> microphone. Just just know I'm a believer that you guys are doing great stuff, and it's going to continue to grow. And um, and you know, I appreciate you having me on and, and allowing me to join. And hopefully, we can we can do it again with some fun Browns times come uh, 2020 season. Oh, yes. this is not the last time that we will be getting together to pod. That is for darn sure. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Jake. Thank, thank you, Jake. You. All right, that wraps us up. Ladies, thank you for another wonderful episode. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher. Uh, again, we love hearing from you on Twitter. Make sure that you send us tweets because we have a new GM and we don't have a name for him. So we'd love to hear your feedback. And we will talk to you guys next week.